The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Uh, right now we have teams literally around the world. We've got a team in Rwanda, a team in Japan, a team in Ukraine, a team in Estonia, and a team in New York City. So please be in prayer for our folks. We don't take for granted the safety that God has blessed us and the opportunity for ministry over the years. Uh, we have almost 100 folks spread across the globe right now. So be praying for that. We take mission seriously. If you're new at TBC, uh, one of the things we're about is reaching the world for Jesus. And uh, we give 20% of our budget right off the top to missions. Uh, that'll be in the neighborhood of a million dollars this year. So we invest heavily in those who serve our Savior. And that reminds me that we have a number of folks visiting us from the mission field right now. And uh, I, I think this hour, McKissick's where you guys, would you stand up? You're here somewhere. The McKissick's are in from South America, uh, all the way in the back, back there, the McKissick family. Uh, George and Jenny Olson, are the Olsons here this hour? George and Jenny, are you guys here this hour anywhere? Somewhere back over here with their family. Uh, what about the uh, Bowers, Bill and Christy, are you guys here this week? I think they're away on vacation. The Finters were here last week. And sometime in the next month, we're going to have a Meet Your Missionary Night. We have a number of our folks who are actually in town for the next few months, but especially the month of August. And we'd like to do an evening where you can get to hear the stories of these folks who are representing the Savior, and serving our body in various places literally around the world. Thank you for being here with us, guys, and we look forward to time with you over the next uh, few months. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we're doing a study in Ecclesiastes. I've entitled this message, uh, An Examined Life, An Examined Life. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. I want to say, Solomon, what are you saying here? I mean, don't, don't, are, you, are you tracking with this? I, I mean, who talks like this? I mean, don't you want to just hit the pause button and say, Solomon, what in the world are you thinking? I mean, a, the day of death has been the day of birth, and a house of mourning is better than a house of laughter, and frustration is better than laughter. A sad face is good for the heart. I mean, how many of your parents told you that when you go outside? Put on a sad face when you go to school today. <laughs> the heart of the wise, verse 4, is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It's better to heed the rebuke of a wise person and listen to the song of fools, like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This, too, is meaningless. And then if you drop down to verse uh, 8, the end of a matter is better than the beginning. Patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap or the bosom of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? The good old days. Solomon says, don't say that. He says it's not wise to ask that question. Wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But this advantage of now the advantage of knowledge is this wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, do not no one can discover anything 
about their future. Some of you are obsessive compulsive. You get your pens in your hands and you want to fill out the blanks in the outline. Okay. So here's what I'm going to do. We're not going to even get to the bottom of the outline intentionally. Intentionally. I shouldn't have put it there. So you ready? If you're one of those guys that has to do that, where it says advantages and limitations of wisdom, okay, I'm going to give you the answers. Wisdom keeps us from extremes. Extremes. By the way, if you're really obsessed, all you got to do is go to the website any Monday and it's all posted there. And Jim's going to pop it up behind me. Wisdom keeps us from extremes. Wisdom points out our inconsistency. It points out wisdom does not provide all the answers to life questions. Okay? Now, you got the answers, you got the blanks, you go home and study it and figure out how I got that. Okay? That's your job. So we're going to go all the way back to verse 1, and we're going to start at the very beginning. Might do a song with that. Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Sounds like a good song. Would you agree? You guys are clueless. It's the sound of music. Let's pray. Father, take your word now. Use it to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. About 20 years ago, Bev and I participated in a week-long event called LEAD at Dallas Theological Seminary. We were invited to go back with three of the couples. We spent a week being evaluated in every area of our life, every area of our ministry, and, and uh, just about everything we're doing. We had to uh, send them all the information about TBC, statistics, publications, et cetera, et cetera. We took a barrage of personality tests, and some of you love doing that. I'm the personality type that doesn't like doing that. I am who I am, and that's the way it is, and, you know, not much is going to change except by God's grace, maybe we'll mature spiritually. They also uh, sent, we had to send in videotapes of sermons. Now, pretty intimidating. We're back in, the, we didn't have an auditorium like this. So it was back in that area. They had a camera in my face, and I knew it was going to be sent to my professors at Dallas Seminary to see if uh, they were going to take my diploma away or not. I didn't know what they were going to do. So we sent VSH tapes, VHS tapes. How many of you have no idea what that is? You young people, you have no idea what a VHS I, I took. A, I, I, here's what it looks like, just so you might know. Uh, this is what a VHS tape looks like. We used to have to actually go to a store and rent those. Uh, that's before Netflix, and that's before uh, Google, uh, Amazon Prime and uh, video on demand. And, and you, there was a place called Blockbuster used to exist in the world, and you'd have to actually go to get in your car, go to a store, and rent a video. There was a place on the loop with the most unfriendly people. I, I hope you're not here today, but... <laughs> Really, the most unfriendly people in the whole world. You go in there, and uh, you would, it was like you were doing them a favor just to be in there or something, and you would go and pour through thousands of videos and rent one. Before that, there was something called cassette tapes. They look like that, and uh, you have to go back to the dinosaur age to remember those. And uh, before that, we had eight-track tapes. How many of you had John Denver's greatest hits? Let me see your hands. <laughs> Let's do it together. Country Roads tape. No, we're not going to do that. Okay. And uh, before that, we had something called vinyls, actually, and uh, that has nothing to do with the sermon at all. When I <laughs> wrote my notes, VHS tapes, I realized some of them had no idea what that was, so I just wanted to put up that there to see them. So what happened, Bev and I went to this meeting, and uh, we had this barrage of stuff, and uh, as we were doing this lead, leadership evaluation and development, they evaluated many things, including our style of relating. 
the way we related to people. And uh, my barrage of personality inventory came back, and it wasn't surprising. It revealed that I'm very social. I enjoy being with people. I have lots of friends, fun times, playing ball, watching games, eating out, uh, traveling together. And I could do something with people every night of the week. That gives me energy. That's the way I am wired. And I, I like to keep things fairly light, okay, fairly light. Bev, on the other hand, and her personality, her, her barrage of tests reveal that Bev loves people, but she loves to go deep. So she's married to a guy that likes to go light, and she likes to go deep. She enjoys conversations relating to other women, and she enjoys fewer but deeper <clears throat> relationships. And uh, I gain energy from people. She does gain energy from people, but sometimes not so much so. I, I could do something every night of the week, and I, she has to protect our schedule so we don't do those things. Can anybody relate in your marriage that way? I mean, you're kind of opposites, and, you know, somebody saw And so, so, so that, that's what happened. And we both wanted to understand how this was impacting our marriage, how it was impacting our relationships with other people, and how it was impacting our ministry. And, and I was having a hard time understanding all this. I mean, the guy that was the counselor that was going through this project had been a classmate of mine, a now PhD psychologist, and we were actually friends up until that day. And um, <laughs> he, he looked at me and said, Gary, let me explain it to you this way. When it comes to relationships, you like to snorkel and Bev likes to scuba dive. Now, I can understand that. I, I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but I, I, when, when he used that word picture, I began to understand exactly what he was talking about. He, he said, when it comes to relationships and friendships, you're a snorkeler. You don't like to go real deep. Bev, on the other hand, she likes to scuba dive. She, she likes to delve deep down into relationships and enjoy relationships that way. Now, now I, in, in real life, I love to snorkel. I mean, we've done it a few times, and I, I love it, but snorkeling has limitations. I mean, you're not free to stay underwater when you snorkel because you need this thing called air. And uh, you, you can only go a few feet deep. You can dive, but, you know, you're not going to breathe through the snorkel because you drown, and you've got to come up pretty quickly because you need this thing called air. And uh, you, you can see and experience things from a distance, but, but it's really from a distance. You're, you're, you're not going down and experiencing them next to everything. And that's what snorkeling's about. And so uh, you don't go quite as deep, and you, you don't experience everything up close and personal. But if you scuba dive, how many of you scuba dive? Let me see your hands. How many of you scuba dive? Not many of you. Last, I think everybody in the whole church scuba dived last hour. They came, yeah, the adventuresome guys must have been, no. But when you scuba dive, you're free to stay underwater because you have this thing called air. And uh, you can go about 150 plus feet deep because you have air with you and you can, you can head down in that direction. And, and you, you don't just look at things. You can actually go and experience things. You can be part of it. And you're saying, what does this have to do with the message? Well, everything, actually, because what's true in the water is true in life as well. The problem is most of us like to snorkel, not a lot of us like to scuba dive. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. I mean, we really don't want to deal with the weightier issues of life. Look at the way you spend your money and the way you spend your time. We want to be entertained. We want to have fun. We want to laugh. We want to party. We can't wait to get to the lake, to the deer lease, to the club, to the concert, to the game, or to the mall. And in today's passage, what Solomon is saying is we are fools if all we do is snorkel. 
were absolute fools. In fact, eight times in this passage, if you look in your Bibles, you'll see the words better than, better than, better than, better than. It's called the comparative Proverbs. These are Proverbs. Solomon is speaking. He's writing. And he's saying something is better than something else. Something is better than something else. And really, to follow my analogy, what Solomon is saying, scuba diving is better than snorkeling. If all you do is snorkel in life, if all you do is deal with surface issues, if you never delve down and deal with serious things, Solomon says, you are a fool. That's his words. Those are his words. And so when we look at this passage, I want you to keep that in mind. When I read through this passage, you know, I'm the snorkeler, and so I want to say to Solomon, hey, bro, lighten up. I mean, chill a little bit, and don't be so introspective. Take your own advice and enjoy life. And Solomon looks at Gary DeSalvo and says, you fool. You better scuba dive and deal with more serious things as you go through life. In our crazy, busy world, we'd rather be entertained than examine our lives. So this morning, we're going to walk through something I've called the examined life. We're going to look at advice, not advise, as it says in your bulletin, that's my mistake, but advice from a struggling sage. We need to stop and examine our lives. So strap on your scuba gear. We're going to look at some better-than statements. And we're going to ask some investigative questions and examine our lives. The searchlight is on your heart. The searchlight is on your life. Solomon's going to ask us some questions and make some statements. 7-1, Solomon begins by saying, a good name is better than a good perfume. Solomon is saying a reputation, a man's reputation, a woman's reputation is better than the perfume you put on to come to church this morning. Solomon, what do you mean? Well, how long does perfume or cologne last? I I mean, I got up about 6.30 this morning, got ready, got here in time, and was studying and stuff, and I, I did this early on because I'm reviewing my notes, and I put on something called Eternity. Bev likes Eternity, so I wear Eternity. Every smart man wears the cologne nut that he likes, but that his wife likes. Amen? Amen. And so I smelled Eternity. It did not last an Eternity. I can guarantee you that. Okay, I, I mean, there was, a, there was a little bit of a remnant there, and right now, it's gone. There's no eternity anywhere that you're going to smell. If you want to sniff, come see me after the service. <laughs> hey, what, what Solomon is saying, the same thing he says in Proverbs 22.1, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Solomon is saying your reputation is what matters. Perfume and cologne last for a season, but who you are, your reputation, your character lasts for a lifetime. So let's scuba dive a little bit. Let's examine our lives. Pull out the magnifying glass. What is your reputation like at work and what is your reputation like at home? What's your reputation like at work? I mean, do do folks look at you and say, that's a kind lady, that's a cooperative man, he's hardworking, she's one that others follow, he's one that that, that naturally leads. He or she is a person other folks seek out. Or, Or do they look and say, that's a guy who puts in his time and he goes home and has nothing to do with anybody else. What kind of ministry is that? What is your reputation at work like? Are you always in a foul mood? Or, or, or I've had folks say you don't want to operate with him or her because they are hellacious in the operating room. You don't want to be with them. Or, or somebody might say, that's a person who is always on Facebook when they should be working. Anybody guilty? Don't raise your hand. 
I, I, I mean, really, how many hours do you waste of your employee's time by doing stuff and looking at stuff you shouldn't be doing? What's your reputation at home? Be careful, Dad's in one of his moods again. That's said about you? Mama, she's, uh, she's drinking again. She's off the wagon. Some of you know the pain of that. First is a dad who is faithful, a mom who is loving, folks who are generous. What's your reputation like? I've used this story a half a dozen times, maybe a dozen times. After the christening of the baby brother in church, Jason, the four-year-old, was in the back seat sobbing all the way home in the car. Finally, his father got his attention after three times asking what was wrong. He pulled over, looking, son, what is wrong? Well, the preacher said he wants to be brought up in a good Christian home, but I want to keep living with you guys. Hey, what's your reputation like? What's it like at home? What's your reputation really? What's it like? Not what do you want to be thought as, but what are you really thought of? What are you seen as? Hey, there was a young boy named Tanner Munzee. Tanner played baseball in Wellington, Florida. This happened about four years ago. He was a seven-year-old playing Little League baseball. He was playing first base. He fielded a ground ball, tried to tag a runner who was gone from first to second base. The umpire was a lady named Laura Benson. He went to tag the kid, and she called him out. Well, Tanner went to her and said, Ma'am, I actually missed the tag. I didn't touch him. She looked at him. She looked at the kid on second base, and uh, she called him safe. She changed her mind. And actually, the manager, the coach of this Little League baseball team, gave Tanner the game ball at the end of the game for his honesty. Two weeks later, Tanner's in another game. He's playing shortstop. Laura Benson is the umpire again. There's a kid running from second base to third base. Tanner feels a ground ball, goes to swipe the kid as he runs by, and the umpire calls the kid safe. Tanner threw the ball back to the pitcher, hung his head, and walked back to his position at shortstop. And with his head down, the umpire realized, Laura realized something was wrong. She went to him. She said, uh, she said uh, did you touch him? And she's, he said, yes, ma'am, I did. She looked at the kid on third base and said, you're out. The coach of the other team come running, comes running out of the dugout in her face saying, you can't do that. How can you change your call? And she said, let me tell you what happened two weeks ago. The manager, the coach said, I understand what you did. He patted the kid on the fan. He had shortstop, walked over, took his kid from third base, went to, third base, went to the dugout. He was out because of the reputation of the kid of being honest. What's your reputation like? What's your character like? How are you impacting the folks around you? Solomon says, I want you to know a good name is better than a good perfume. And then he says, a day of death is better than the day of birth. And we're thinking, how can that be? The day of birth is celebration. The day of death is reflection. I mean, a day of sorrow, a day of sadness. Solomon, how, how can you write those words? Well, he teases it out in verses 2 through 4. He says, it's better to go to a home of mourning than a house of feasting. In verse 2 and verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. In verse 4, the house of mourning is better than the, the, the house of pleasure. And he says, Solomon, how can you say those things? I mean, you go to a party, it's a, it's a place of feasting, it's a place of laughter, it's a, it's a place of pleasure. You're snarkling. You go to those places and you snarkle. You, you talk about the events of the day. You, you yuck it up with the guys. You hang out with the girls. and You talk about sports. You talk about movies. You talk about kids. You talk about work. You consume a few wings. You eat a little pizza. You knock down a few brews. And you're hanging at the pool. You're hanging at the lake. And you're snarkling the whole time. The whole time. You rarely scuba dive in those settings. That's what he's saying. I mean, you're, 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 at a, you're at a swim party, and everybody's having a great time, and the hour's getting late, and, 
and you throw this on the table in front of everybody. I've been thinking about death lately. <laughs> well, we got to go. <laughs> Time to put the kids in bed. Uh, pretty morbid, isn't it? I mean, you're not going to throw that one out there with your friends at some kind of party. You're not going to be with all the couples from work at a dinner party and say, by the way, I want you to know I've been thinking about eternal matters. You talk about a conversation stopper. On the other hand, Solomon says, if you go to the house of mourning, that place of sorrow, you're going to scuba dive. You see, if you come with me to the hospital and people in the last hours of their life, they don't have the TV on and wondering who's going to win the game. I've never seen anybody pull out the Wall Street Journal and say, hey, you want one last look to see how your investments are doing before you go to glory? (laughs) Nobody does that. You're not going to say, hey, did you hear? I mean, are you keeping up? Football's getting ready to start. Aggies and Longhorns both had like 10 guys arrested this week. (laughs) True, read the paper, it happened. I mean, nobody does that in a hospital room. You don't do that at a funeral or a cemetery. What Solomon is saying, that's the place where you scuba dive. That's when you ask eternal. You come to a funeral at TBC. We've done four of them in the last month. Four in the last month. We're continuing the face of our own mortality here. Those of us on staff, our administrative assistants, I mean, you come here almost every single week and the door is open and their hearse is parked in the parking lot and coffins wheeled up to this position right here. And on those days, I'm going to tell you, our minds are not thinking about things of the world. They're thinking about things of eternity. And we sit with families and we minister to families and our mind is always on eternal things. And we're scuba diving for a season. And Solomon says, when you go to the place of mourning, you go to the place of sorrow, you go to the place of grief, you you scuba dive. You think about things that are important. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He shouts in our pain. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And Solomon says, if all you do is snorkel, you're a fool. If all you do is talk about football and the weather and the news and the next sale and where to go out and eat, you're a fool. If you never deal with the weightier eternal matters of life, you're a fool. Because one day you're going to die. And on that day you're not going to be prepared for death. Two things about death that I've noticed. Solomon's talking about death here. He's talking about the place of mourning. He's saying death is better than birth. Two things I've noticed about death. Number one, you cannot escape its clutches, but you can escape its consequences. You will never escape the clutches of death. We're all going to die. Every one of us. Some of us before others, some of us after others. But everybody in this room, unless Jesus comes back, you're going to die. Your coffin will be rolled up right here or whatever church it's going to be in, whatever cemetery, and folks will come. The size of your funeral will probably depend upon the weather as much as anything else. And, and folks are going to come and they're, they're going to say words about you. And if you have a reputation that has honored Christ, then verse 1 is going to apply to you. And they're going to speak things that, uh, that, that bring great honor and glory to the Savior and also honor you. And if not, then you'll be like perfume. You'll be like perfume. It's going to be brief. It's going to be short. It's going to smell for a second, but it's going to be gone. 
Two things about death. Number one, you cannot escape its clutches, but you can escape its consequences. D.L. Moody put it like this. He was the evangelist of yesteryear. He said, someday you'll read in the papers that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than ever before. I shall have gone higher That's out of this clay tenement into a house that's immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837 and the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die, but that which is born of the spirit will live forever. He's right. You know, what happens is we weep, they worship. We mourn at the grave They marvel in heaven. We question God. They praise God. I love what Tony Evans says, one of my mentors at Dallas Seminary, one of my professors. He said, he said, have a great time at my funeral because I won't be there. And he's right. He's right. How do you escape the clutches of death, Uh, the consequences of death? Well, you get prepared and you stay prepared. You get prepared and you stay prepared. How do you get prepared? You get prepared by trusting Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's how you get prepared to escape the consequences of death. You stay prepared by walking with Jesus. You stay prepared by being a man of the book, a woman of the book, in community like the video you saw and honoring the Savior with your life and serving the Savior and being generous. This is a tombstone in upstate New York. I love it. Uh, we, we, had to, we couldn't find the actual tombstone. I, I've got a card on it. So it's a guy's name, and all it says on the tombstone is forgiven. Nothing else. That's how you get prepared. That's how you stay prepared. This is uh, my favorite quote regarding death. This is my prayer for myself. This is on a plaque on my desk. It's framed. Uh, the day I was... Uh, uh, April 3rd last year, as you know, we diagnosed with a bad disease, and I came back, and I've used this quote a bunch of times, and I had the gals in the office said, I, I need this. I kept the card on my desk for the last 10 years. So I, I want this framed on my desk so I can read it every day. This is my prayer for myself, my prayer for you. With a sword unsheathed and his armor in place, he went directly to see the king with a stain of battle still in his garments. I don't know about you, but that's how I want to go out. I don't know when it's going to be. It's going to be years from now. It's going to be months from now. But whenever it is, every day I will sit at my desk, I read that framed quote, and I pray that that's how I go to glory. I hope that's your case too. Well, Solomon says that the, the, the day, he's given us advice. He's a wise sage, and we're scuba diving now. Do you feel it? I mean... It's like I'm ready to come up for air, but Solomon says, no, you've got to stay down. In fact, in verses 5 and 6, he says, it's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than to the flattery of fools, for as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. This too is futility. What Solomon is saying, value the rebuke of a wise man versus the flattery of a fool. Value the rebuke of a wise man. We were here probably three or four years. We came here. I was 26 years old. Bev and I were really young. When we got here, I was 26. She was only 12. So she was, <laughs> she's only about 35 now. But, but we, we came. I was here three or four years, and, and God was blessing the ministry of TBC. And we'd grown from a little group of 40 folks when we got here to probably a group of a couple of hundred by then. And I'll never forget, one of the wise men in our body called and wanted to go to lunch with me. And so we're at lunch, and... Uh, 
sometime during that meal, he looked over the table and he said, you know, Gary, God has blessed you in a number of ways. You're, you're a natural leader and you communicate well. But you're also prideful. That's not exactly the way I thought we'd have dessert. <laughs> and, you know, I, and then he gave me two things that was gone on that he observed. You know what? That dear brother was right. He was right. And I was full of myself. Young and excited and full of myself. The end of James says, if you point out the sin of a brother, you say that brother from a multitude of sins. (laughs) Can you imagine the multitude of sins that brother saved me from? The last 30 years. Been here 33 years. That happened year three or four. I can't remember the exact year. It happened at a place called K-Bob's. You remember K-Bob's? I can remember two things, restaurants and LSU football. That's it. And <laughs> K-Bob's was right there. And he looked over the table, and it was a gentle rebuke. But make no mistake, it was a rebuke. And he was right. And by God's grace, I accepted that rebuke. And by God's grace, I can't tell you that I haven't been prideful since. I have. Some of you are saying, I understand why you could be prideful. I understand that too. Some of you have been rebuked by a friend and you are mad. You broke off that relationship. You need to accept and be grateful and be reconciled because you had a brother or sister that loved you enough to come to you and you got mad. And Solomon says you're a fool. You'd rather the flattery of a fool than the rebuke of a wise man. And then... Some of you need to be rebuked. Your quiet time is non-existent. You don't spend time in the Word. You're not generous. You're not serving. Or maybe you've been equipped in the past, but you're doing nothing with everything God's given you. Or or maybe you're that person who's here today. You're leading an immoral lifestyle. Last night you're looking at porn. Last night you smoked a little weed. You're sleeping around. Or maybe you're like I was. You're haughty. You feel like you're better than. Some of you like me. You were rebuked. And it stung initially, but by God's grace you accepted it. Solomon says, if all you do is listen to the flattery of fools, you're like a thorn bush that's set afire. See, a thorn bush is very dry. When it's set on fire, there's quick heat, there's fast heat, but then it goes away soon. Versus a rebuke stays with you for a lifetime. I can remember that rebuke like it was yesterday, and it's good. I've been flattered by fools many times. Can barely remember it. Which are you going to observe? Which are you going to handle? Solomon goes on. He says, you want more? I'll give you more. Let's keep scuba diving. Let's keep scuba diving. He goes on. He talks about, these are verses on rebuking, actually. He goes on and he says about anger. Let me read Dietrich Bonhoeffer first about a rebuke. Nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community from the path of sin. That's a great statement. It's a great statement. You get somebody who loves you enough, willing to point out your sin, you're a blessed man or woman. Scriptures go on. Look at what he says. Uh, let's skip a few verses. Let's go to verse 9. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, 
For angry resides in the lap or the bosom of fools. Hey, if your default mode is anger, your reputation is that of a fool, Solomon says, you're off track. If your life, if your default mode is anger, Solomon said, you've got a problem. If what you're known for is your temper, walking around being hot-headed, Solomon says, you've got a problem. The, the Proverbs 14:7 says, "A man of quick temper acts foolishly." James chapter one says, "Do not uh, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God." An angry person is not a person who's filled with the spirit, he's filled with the flesh. Look at jot down Galatians chapter five. Take a look at the contrast between the deeds of the flesh, <coughs> excuse me, and the deeds of the spirit. Deeds of the flesh. I'll just read a couple of them to you. Strife, enmity. Outburst of anger, disputes, and dissensions. That's a mad, angry person. We live in a mad, 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 mad world. And if you're part of that and contributing to that, you walk in the flesh. You don't walk in the spirit. Because if you're spirit-controlled, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control will be part of your life and part of your nature and who you are. 13- and 14-year-old girls, there were over 2,000 of them surveyed in a recent study. The question, one of the questions on the survey was, how do you wish your mom was different? 70% of them, 7 out of 10, I wish my mom didn't yell so much. 70%. Wow. Anger. Anger. We live in an angry world. We live in an angry world. What does anger look like? Temper, screaming, name-calling, dirty looks, slamming doors, breaking things, silence, sarcasm, storming out. Here's a test. You want to know if you're angry? Here's a little test. Three questions. When you're driving, how often do you use your horn? Number one, rarely if ever. Number two, as needed at least once a day. Number three, it's the most important part of your car. (laughs) Question number two. At a restaurant, how often do you complain about the food? Number one, never. Number two, only if it's cold or are there too many bugs in it. Number three, regularly, and I go out to my car and honk the horn until they get it right. <laughs> number three, while waiting in an express checkout lane at the supermarket, I, number one, meditate on world peace. Number two, count to see if anybody has more than ten items. <laughs> hands, hands, be honest, hands, my hand is up. Three, threaten anyone who looks as if they're going to use a coupon in that line. (laughs) Hey, Solomon says, hey, the good old days. Look at that. Some of you need to look at that verse. Where is that? Which verse is it? There it is in verse, uh, verse 10. He says, do not say why are the former days better than these, the good old days. If all you do is talk about the good old days, who are you ministering to right now? What are you doing right now? Well, Gary, don't you know where our country's gone to? Don't you know how bad things are? I do. I, I, and let me let you know, a little, here's a secret. Shh, ready? If you read Revelation, it's going to get worse. <laughs> so I shouldn't watch the news? No, watch the news. When you get ready to throw things at the TV, how many of you have a remote in your house? You've got a remote control for your TV. Let me see your hand. It has an off button on it. You can turn it off. You don't just sit there and get mad and brew. And, I tell my dad, just turn it off. Just turn it off. You have to do that. You have to look at that. Just turn it off. Go watch sports. Go watch something, anything. 
Uh, we're out of time. <laughs> we're done. He says, uh, let, me, let me one more. I'm out of time, but I'm not finished. Look at verse 11. In the day of prosperity, be happy. In the day of adversity, consider God has made one as well as the other. So a man may discover anything and be after him. Why is it that when things are going well, we enjoy life and we thank God? When things are going poorly, we blame God and get mad. Ron Winsman is a pastor at Aka Brethren, you know, past uh, Green Sausage House up, out in Zoxicville, good man. He's got two daughters. They're both on the mission field in Zambia. They both serve in different orphanages. And uh, someone uh, handed me, or uh, actually the guy that made my eye, John Brinkley, goes to church out there, and he gave me one of their blogs. By the way, he's making me an eye of the tiger. Wait till I show you that one. <laughs> and uh, and he, he gave me one of the blogs from one of the girls. And, and it's saying, why should we blame God when things are bad? She, she writes this from Zambia. Last week was a hard week. Actually, last weekend was hard. Actually, just Friday was hard. It's one of those days if a plane had showed up, I'd have gotten on and gone back to America. The day began at 5.30 and ended at 10.30. And I was complaining, and then God began to speak to my heart. He revealed to me that uh, I think he owes me something because I've given up life in America and live a more difficult life in Zambia as a missionary. What do I think he owes me? That everything in my life should go well? I should have relatively easy days when things go as planned. Uh, sure, there'll be trials so that my faith can grow, but seriously, breakdowns and break-ins on the same day? they had gone out in the bush, their car broke down, they're stranded for hours, they get back to their house, they've been broken into and a bunch of stuff stolen. And then she writes this. I realized he owes me nothing, but I owe him everything. He owes me nothing, but I owe him everything. She started to scuba dive there. And she realized what really matters in life. God, don't know, God does not owe us anything. We owe him everything. Socrates, Jim, go all the way to that last slide. Socrates is a pagan philosopher, and Socrates said an unexamined life is not worth living. And if a pagan philosopher writes that and says, you got to scuba dive once in a while, Solomon, the wisest man in the world, says, you need to examine your life. So we scuba dive today. What's your reputation like? What's your character like? What's your anger, quote, anger, anger quotient like? You living in the good old days? Living now. You think God owes you something? You're enjoying Him in the good and the bad. Back in the days before there were cell phones, there was a little young, there was a 12-year-old man named Jimmy who went to the local pharmacy where his uh, that his dad's friend owned, or his friend's dad owned, and he asked if he used the phone. And so he said, "Of course you can, Jimmy." He got on the phone, and the pharmacist could only hear one side of the conversation that went like this: "Mr. Brown, do you need somebody to cut your yard?" "No, you've got someone already." Was he doing a good job? Okay. Thank you, Mr. Browning, on the phone. The pharmacist came and said, Jimmy, I, I eavesdropped on your conversation. I'm sorry you didn't get the job. He said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, 
I already mow Mr. Brown's yard. I was just checking up on myself. That's the examined life. Checking up on yourself. Asking God to look at your heart. See if there's anything in it that needs to be changed, anything that needs to be undone, anything that needs to be molded into his presence. Psalm 139 ends this way. Search my heart, O God. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in an everlasting way. That's our prayer, Father. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to ask you right now, don't walk out of this building without asking for his forgiveness so that word forgiven can be written on your tombstone. If you know him as your Savior, what's your reputation like? What's your anger like? What's your life like? Living in the past or living today? An unexamined life? It's just not worth living. We love you. We go our way in your name. Amen.